Welcome to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, changeinnature.org. So I'm here with Jules Wingfield and at this beautiful place, the Earth Art Centre, extraordinary place right in the middle of the forest of Dean, surrounded by ancient trees and you really feel you're in the heart of nature. And I first came here a few years ago to do a retreat with my partner at the time. And it was a retreat around intimacy and for me it was an extraordinary exploration of how relationship can be a doorway into both your shadows but also how love and intimacy can be the pathway to transformation and it was yeah it's a really extraordinary retreat and I've been to many workshops with Jules since the last one with 400 people mm-hmm. and Jules what I find about your work is you really seem to touch people in their hearts very quickly mm. and very directly mm. Um, so maybe we can start this interview by just talking about uh, the work you do and why it's so important. Yeah, so, well, it all began when I was in my late teens, actually, and I, I was a traveller and I was living on the land, and at that time, in the 80s, you know, travellers were being moved on a lot. We couldn't, we couldn't stay on one piece of land, and my, my body and my soul was just kind of aching to be able to, to just be with one piece of land and have that connection. Like, I, I recognised that there was something about being with a piece of land over a long period of time, because the rhythm of the land, the rhythm of trees, of stone and soil, is so much slower than human rhythm. And there was something that my body felt it needed to be able to really connect, to be with a piece of land for a long time and have a relationship, like a long-term relationship, probably longer than I would have with a human being even, you know, and to start to be able to listen and really feel my body and the land and and the relationship between them. So, and I held that, I held that from the early, my early teens and then continued to sort of move and be a traveller and I was like, well, how am I going to create this piece of land? Land costs money, you know, and so I just spent the next 25 years doing what I do and, you know, offering the work that I'm offering and then eventually I had enough money from all the work I was doing to buy this place and then I bought this place and you know I've been here seven years now and it's been amazing even in seven years to feel my relationship with seeing how the land changes how the land is speaking to me the more I'm here and the more time I spend really being here and sitting under one tree or just noticing the way the topography changes from season to season, you know, I kind of never really knew that about land. It's like, wow, the topography just changes all by itself. And the trees started to speak to me and things started to reveal themselves to me that I'd never seen before. I was like, I swear that tree wasn't there last year, but it's like a hundred year old tree. You know, I'm sure I never saw that or I never saw that, you know, and... So there's something about this feeling of belonging, that there's something about being, connecting with a piece of land that means you f- it's like I felt this sense of belonging, this sense of, and I, th- and I think for a lot of us, well for most of us, certainly in the West, 
we're quite nomadic actually in our modern culture. Yes, we live in houses and we go to work every day and we've got this pattern, but actually, how long do we stay in places? You know, we get a new job, we move somewhere else, we get a new relationship, we move somewhere else. It's like, we don't have any more this village. You know, so when you're born, and you know, if our indigenous sort of ancestors, they would have this sense of a village, and you were born into that village and, and there was the whole village would be welcoming you. There was a sense of, I belong here. I have a place here. I, I am meant to be here. I, you know, this feeling of belonging. And even if you go away from the village as an adult, even if you went off for 10 years, 20 years, in your psyche, you know the village exists and you know that you can go back there. And you know that when you go back there, you'll have a place there, that that land, is resonant with you. Your soul has made a connection with that piece of land and with the people. And even as the generations die, there's that thread of, well, this is now the son of, you know, da 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 da, that I knew when I was little. And there's this, this feeling of belonging and this wound that we have, so many of us, of I'm not welcome, I'm going to be rejected, I'm not wanted here. I think it's rooted in that. And it's not even that everyone in the village would just love you unconditionally the whole time, but you have a story with those people. You belong to those people and those people know that. And even, and you know, if something doesn't go well, it's like, there's, there's a beautiful story of a village, I think it's in the Dagra tradition in Burkina Faso. And when someone has done something, which, which in the West we would consider a crime, you know, they've stolen something, they've, you know, been aggressive to somebody or done something really bad. They don't punish them. They bring them into the middle of the village and love them. Because they recognise that if, if a human being is doing that, it's because they're disconnected. It's because they've forgotten their village, because they've forgotten their belonging. They've forgotten their context within which they're living. They have disconnected themselves. And in that disconnect, we can do all kinds of things. So for me, this sense of the village is really at the heart of so much of why I think we're in so much pain. Because we're not feeling a resonance with a piece of land. And, and actually, lots I talk to lots of people, they say, oh yeah, there's this really special place that I love to go to. You know, that's what we, we, we can capture in that, even if we're not living in the same place all our life and where our mother and our grandmother and our great-grandmother lived. There are places that we feel that sense of the sacred, that sense of the connection. So what I wanted to offer here was a, a, a kind of a, a gateway into that. So people who are living in the city, who maybe have a park two miles down the road from them that they know they should go to, but somehow or another never get around to it. And to just be able to sort of come and go, oh, oh that to feel it rather than just read about it in a book or talk about it or see it on a film, to go into the earth lodge, you know, with the ancestors lodge and sit by a fire on the earth and feel that deep resonance. And, 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 you know, for most of us, it's like, we're so numb and we're so busy with all this other stuff that's going on. It, it's almost like we have to be hit by nature, like a bit of a sledgehammer. You know, so kind of we have to have quite an extreme kind of sensory experience to go, oh, right, oh, now I can feel it. And that's what I wanted to create was a, a, some kind of a transition. And it's almost like there's a temporary village here. When we come for like a grief ritual, we come for a workshop or we come for a ceremony in the lodge. 
it's like a temporary village is formed. And even in a matter of a weekend, by the end of the weekend, the people are going, I don't want to leave. I don't want to... You are such an amazing circle of people. And I'm always thinking, you're, you're not any more amazing than the last circle that came last week. But once we connect and once we open our hearts and we sit within this bowl of nature we're going to see our magnificence and we're going to open and then suddenly of course we think that we're sitting in a very special group of people but all the groups of people are special because it's this they've got this connection now you know so it creates like a temporary village over a weekend and and the hope is that or maybe they come for like a year-long training you know where they are really coming back again and again and they're seeing how the seasons change through the year so they'll come back they'll go oh wow it looks so different in in summer now you know when we first came it was winter and look at all the life around so it's like there's something inspiring that can happen and the hope is that they go away from here and something has touched them something of this they can bring and take back into their life and and plant a seed so that it their life can start to change and be more in alignment with what their heart wants because most of the time it's like, well, practically I can't make that happen. You know, I'm busy just trying to pay the mortgage, trying to pay the rent, get some food, feed my kids. You know, I don't have the luxury to think, ooh, how would I, you know, but actually the tragedy of that is, is that without this connection, we are exhausted. You know, it's like our soul isn't being fed. So then we're just with all the physical kind of food, shelter, water stuff and we don't value in our culture the feeding of our soul or the feeding of our heart, you know, that. And there's plenty of scientific research that has shown that you put, you, you have like a group of babies in a room and you hug some of them and you don't hug others and they've all eaten the same thing. The ones who are being hugged thrive, you know, but we prioritise like food and shelter and, and money and all of those things. And then we feel empty and we feel lost because we haven't got a village and we haven't got this way in which our souls can connect. And as soon as our hearts open and we're in nature, it's like suddenly we see the love everywhere. It's not just in the eyes of another human being. We go for a walk in the forest. It's like, God, I never, I never smelled the leaves before this way. And actually, it's quite a nice smell. You know, whereas before it'd be like, oh, mulched leaves, mud. I, I, oof, no, no, you know, I need to go and wash my clothes. But actually, it's like, oh, it reminds me of something ancient something that my bones kind of recognize and it's like the hormones and the, it, there's actually a chemical response in our bodies of what wakes up in us when we smell this kind of thing or we just walk barefoot for a moment on the ground you know now we don't even put our feet on the ground bare hardly ever even in summer and that connection bare skin to earth there's a biochemical circuit that happens when we do that. If we do that for 20 minutes every day, I, I really think that it would be the solution to a lot of depression and this lostness and this, you know, people feeling suicidal. It's powerful because there's something coming from the earth that is coming directly into our body. And as soon as you put a piece of even rubber between the earth and the sole of your foot, it's like you can't get that and then we wonder why we're feeling exhausted and we wonder why we're malnourished and we wonder why our bodies aren't working well and we wonder why we're getting sick but it's it's kind of obvious really you know so this 
and, and you know, of course, we're in the house, and initially I wanted to just have people on the land, and we do, we spend a lot of time on the camps on the land, but then some people are like, oh, well, I'm not really ready to camp, you know, I want a room in the house, I want a bed in the house, I'm like, okay. So I try and make the house feel as much like we're outside as possible, so just really simple colours and, you know, really kind of earthy feel, so that the transition between when we're out there and when we're in here can be sort of like the minimum possible. And, uh, yeah, it seems to work. Mm. It just seems to work. <laughs> yeah, I can testify that it definitely it does work. Um, and I'm really interested, actually, in, in why it works. So, you know, just some people, as you said, they come just for a weekend. Mm. You mentioned this sense of belonging, which mm. is such a big part mm. of, mm. as you said, the disconnection. You mentioned nature. I mean, what are the really key ingredients you feel that can make this work so transformative? It's something about having a direct experience of that that's beyond the ordinary, that that's beyond our sort of ordinary, logical, rational, physical world. You know, because nature is infused with the mystery. Nature is infused. It's not like, oh, the God or spirit is sort of up there in the sky somewhere. It's like it's infused in every blade of grass. It's infused in the wind, in the air that we're breathing in. It's infused in, in, the, in the mud, in the water. So um, by immersing ourselves in nature and we ask simple questions like, what is this that you can't describe physically? but you can feel it. You know, simple questions like that, like going for a walk in the forest and just inviting people to just sit and go, what, what is here beyond what you can label rationally? What can you feel? And it's something about that. It's like the sense of the sacred and a sense of beauty. It's like we sort of tend to see beauty as a bit of a kind of a luxury item or a kind of, well, as long as it works and it's functional, that's good enough. Why, why go the ex, you know, it's like when they're building buildings, you know, it's like, well, we've got our bricks, we've got our windows, that'll do. What's the point in putting the frilly bits around the edge? Because it just adds to cost and doesn't really add anything to the building. But actually, you know, that is so not the case. It's, there's something that appeals to our soul, to our spirit. When we see beauty, when we see someone tending two things in a way that you can feel the love is infused in it it changes their experience it changes their experience you know if somebody walks into a blank room versus someone walking into a room with a beautiful altar in the middle and a candle and maybe some leaves around it something changes something changes and this sense of the sacred it's like how we can pull the mystery from beyond the veil and bring it into physical matter and and that that is kind of what what the work is about really in a way it's it's that sounds a bit abstract but through doing that something else is now in the field that is working us that is kind of calling us to presence in a certain way and it takes us out of that mundane ordinary logical rational paradigm into this paradigm of love, into this paradigm of the mystery, into something that's sacred, and we're touched by it. You know, we're touched by beauty. Beauty kind of opens our heart in some way. Yeah? 
And I'm also interested in where you take that once you've done this kind of inner work, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you're a very kind of strong advocate of having a balance between inner and outer. Yes. And to ensure that you do make positive effect yeah. in the world. You, yeah. you are in service to Earth. Yes. But at the same time, I, I think you used to be an activist who maybe were, was really going for the outer. Yes. <laughs> So how do we get been this arrested in... a few times. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we get this balance? How do you try yeah. and help people? Yeah, and, and and I've been on a journey with that myself through my life because when I was younger, you know, yes, I was. I was right out there. We got to do this thing. We can't sit around looking at our navels. We've got to, you know, tie ourselves to tractors. We've got to lobby governments. And I was, you know, really in that world a lot. And and I know, I mean, you know, a lot of great things got done. A lot of things felt. <laughs> sort of you know you just end up feeling drained and exhausted and powerless and what I noticed was that it kind of gave a platform for a lot of people to express emotion that wasn't necessarily really about the thing that we were there for it just became this sort of yeah great we're on a march you know and and I feel angry about loads of things in my life actually and Wow, out it all comes. You know, there's a line of police, right? Let's just go for it. Let's just hurl all our sort of, you know, unresolved resentments. And I was like, something about this isn't right. And, and actually, it's not effective either because it, it doesn't work to just get angry with the police. Um, so I started to get interested in what is the inner shift? You know, what is this emotional landscape? What are we really feeling? Like, what's really at the core of that? And then I kind of flipped and I sort of burnt myself out with all the activism. I was like, oh, it's pointless. Nothing ever changes. I am exhausted, blah, blah, blah. And then I started looking at the inner shift. When then I was like, wow, it's really about the shift in consciousness. It's really about the shift in consciousness. Because if you do an action driven from fear, it just creates a wider field of fear. It's like the resonance, the, the, the vibrational resonance of fear is just going to create more fear. We've got to do this thing, we've got to do this thing, we're all going to die, we've got to do this thing. You know, it's like, that's a, a vibration. If we do an action from love and from a sense of having expanded our consciousness, that energy that we're making that physical action from then ripples out and it's a different energy. So for me, the actions need to happen, but they need to happen from love rather than from fear. And then how do we do the work to get to our love? Because that doesn't mean, oh, let's just love all each other. Let's just walk around with flowers in our air and, you know, say we love everyone. It's like it's got to be rooted in reality. So for me, I mean, I noticed over the years, having kind of lived in both of these kind of worlds, that the the kind of shifting consciousness tribe if you like and the sort of let's get out there tribe you know so the inner and the outer in the shadow of it they both feel that the other one is kind of a little bit like well yeah you know you're doing all that stuff but you know you just you you can't look me in the eye you can't feel a feeling you know you're just a bit sort of unconscious and a bit angry and just all a bit like rational and what about your heart you know and then the, the, the people who were out there doing this, like, oh, just stop sitting around looking at your navel. Do you know what I mean? Nothing's going to change as long as you do that. So there's, there's judgment. And what, what, I, what I see and what the work is about is understanding that actually they're in a marriage. They are, it's like this inner and outer, this masculine and the feminine. That's the reflection that's going on in the world. It's like um, what's happened in the human psyche, how we've split off 
to focus so much on the outer, which is what we're doing, you know, and then we see that reflected in the result of, of the, the way our world is being destroyed. So I used to, I used to run a workshop called um, Spiritual Naval Gazers versus Relentless Planet Savers, a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> and we'd get these groups of people, you know, some big event. And, you know, let them sort of, yeah, you know, let them fly all well, just by the end. They'd both be saying, how can we collaborate? And how can you help me to shift my consciousness? And how can you help me to find the courage to go out and lobby my government? And it's a beautiful thing then. It's like to, to have both of these things working in, in harmony together. I don't think you can say one is more important than the other. It's, it's almost like if we only do one, we're in the same kind of disconnected state in a way you know and, and and it's like if we it's like sticking a plaster on 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 a severed limb uh, uh, you know if action comes from this disconnected place it's like sticking a plaster on a severed limb but if the action comes from i've immersed myself in nature and i was brought to tears yesterday just by sitting under this tree and i love this world so deeply i don't want anything to happen that movement, if you then go out and talk to your local forestry commission and say, I really don't want these trees to be cut down, that's a very different, that's going to have a different impact than going there in some angry state of sort of, well, I know I like the trees, but, you know, I'm not necessarily near them, you know, mm. <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, that example really shows to me that the, the way you act in the world um, I love what you said, has to come from a place of love. Mm. And that there's a danger that a lot of our activism or a lot of our change-making can happen from that very rational, strategic mm. place. And you do a lot of work about helping people to connect to not only their love, but their grief and mm. how they feel about being alive on the world right now yeah. with everything that's happening. Yeah. And one of those workshops I mentioned at the beginning was it was a 400 people that it was a space where they could openly express their grief or their anger or whatever might be coming yeah. up for them. Yeah. So how important is, is that work in, as part of this bigger picture? It feels really key. You know, it's like we've been angry for a long time going out there, raging, raging against the machine, as it were. And it feels like grief is the kind of evolutionary step that we're in now. It's almost like the anger was the solar plexus. We're moving up the body through the chakras and now we're in the heart. And the thing about the grief is the grief is, and is evidence of our love. It's expression of our love because we only grieve for what we love. We don't grieve for something we feel indifferent or neutral about. So the grief is the gateway back to our love. And the deeper we can allow the grief and go, I really, really miss the clean rivers. I really miss my mum or whatever it might be, whatever the grief is. There is nothing like grief that opens our heart. There's nothing that comes close in the human experience. When we really lose something, it's like our hearts just break open. But we live in a culture that sees feeling grief or most emotions actually as something negative and to be got over quite quickly actually there was an example recently on the radio there was this whole thing about you know the breastfeeding and this slogan breast is best 
and how they're saying now that they can't say breast is best to the to the kind of you know demographic because that would upset the mums who genuinely can't breastfeed and what they're actually saying is let's protect those mothers from feeling grief because that would be a bad thing now of course it is in really sad and tragic that that mother can't breastfeed but does that mean she should be prevented from feeling grief and does that mean there's a whole bunch of mums over here who might be open to breastfeeding if they've been told breast is best that now aren't going to get that because we live in a culture that is literally legislating against feeling grief. You know, you, all the stuff around, um, you know, people who are disabled and stuff, you know, the way they phrase it. It's like, oh, well, let's not say it like that because it might, they might feel some grief. And actually, grief is a powerful threshold into our love and into connection. So, and, and grief isn't just about our tears. It isn't about just sitting there feeling the sort of sadness. Grief includes our anger, our wildness, our stamping our fists on the ground, just screaming at the heavens or the earth, like, why? You know, all of that. And, and that, yeah, like you say, at that, at that event, it's kind of, you give people a space, 400 people all going, yes, I am feeling this and I need to feel this. You know, for me, the madness in our world isn't that we're all going around pretending business as usual. Well, that is a madness, but it's the fact that we're not on our knees walking down the road. Every time we see a billboard, every time we hear something on the radio, why are we not on our knees? Just Because I think that's how we feel inside. There's that kind of moments sort of flash subliminal ah you know and then soon really quickly we pack it away and then where does it go how do we navigate that we have to then self-anesthetize all day long because there is so much grief in us why wouldn't there be when we look at what's going on around the world how could we not feel grief you know, how could we not so for me coming back to this thing about action from love the gateway is our grief because grief is evidence of our love. It's, it's, yeah. And what struck me particularly about that workshop was also the importance of the village, that we yeah. created a village, yeah. Yeah. we created a community. Um, do you want to say a bit more about that container? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, absolutely, because you see, now what's happened in our culture is grief is seen as something that you do privately on your own. You know, there's shame around it. And, you know, someone dies in your family and your work, so you've got two, de two, two weeks to grieve. And then come back and then you should be okay again. And there's something really powerful. We're not designed to grieve alone. We're not meant to grieve alone. We're not meant to love alone either. So when the grief is held, I mean, it's held within the village, but more importantly, it's held within the field of gratitude. And it's held within the field of love. So whenever we do a grief ritual, it's always sandwiched with gratitude either side. So gratitude is like the ground of grief. Gratitude opens us to, yeah, this is what we love. This is what we love. Let's connect. Feel the container of the village. I'm not here alone. Because grief on our own is unbearable. It takes us into depression. And then we just end up taking you know, antidepressants. But when we're held, it's almost like the village become like banks of the river. And then we can be the river. And the river doesn't question the banks. The river doesn't go, oh, I wonder if I can rely on the banks to hold me. I wonder if I can rely on this rock to be here. No, it just flows. It can completely surrender and know the banks are here holding the water. And that's kind of what happens when we create this, this collective context for grief. 
And what happens then is people feel that they can go deeper into the grief because they're not on their own, basically. And, you know, that's, that's ancestrally, that's how we navigated grief. But um, in our modern culture, it's kind of hidden away. Yeah. And I'm just maybe going to move to another really big aspect of your work, which is working with both, you do women's work, uh, you do group work, but you also do work in relationships. Yeah, yeah. And it was really fascinating to hear you say how relationships are a real mirror. They really kind of can show you so much that you can often not see on your own. How important is this this work with relationships? Yeah, it, 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 uh, yeah, I'm, it's at the heart of it, really. So, you know, what we've got here is I've got, you know, yeah, I hold the women's program and my partner holds the men's program. And then there's the, the how do we come together? So there's a huge movement now in the last sort of 20 years, 10 years of, of women's, women's kind of coming together, women's groups and all of that. And the men now are kind of, you know, getting, getting the hang of that. Um, because if we look at deep time, for 6,000 years, we've been in this particular framework of understanding the, the, the patriarchal paradigm. And the, in the patriarchal paradigm, there hasn't been balance, there hasn't been equality, there's been an annihilation of the feminine and an overdevelopment of the masculine. And that's true in all of us. That's not just about like the men and the women. When I speak about the masculine and the feminine, it's like we each have masculine and feminine inside us. We could say yin and yang, if we don't want to get out of the politically incorrect la li la um, Yeah, and it's great that the women are getting together and doing that deep work because it's it's been... You know, when you've got 6,000 years of repression and violation sitting in your system as a woman, sitting in your womb, sitting in your blood, to come into a relationship with a man, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to feel inherently vulnerable and dangerous before you even begin. And most women aren't even in touch with that. They're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Because of the level of disconnect we've got going on. So that women's work is really important because it's too much for the men to hear our rage or to hear our grief or to hear our pain about what's happened. It's like, it's just too much because they've got their own version of their struggle going on. So the men are doing their work and, you know, in terms of coming back to this love, it's like, yeah, we can sit on a mountain and meditate. You know, we can have our solo practice. But as soon as you sit, in front of a man, in front of a woman, <laughs> and you know, you've got that 6,000 years of conditioning behind you, that's a potent field of healing. If it can be held in a way that brings in a sense of ritual, a sense of ceremony, a sense of, yeah, bringing in that love that's in the field, that quality of love and openness and courage. And yeah, a lot can happen in that field. So it does, it does feel really important. And how important is honouring the feminine? So you, you said that for 6,000 years that's been really out of balance. Mm. How can all of us, men and women, do more to honour the feminine? I really feel like it's a time of balance. So, you know, there was this sort of, you know, in the 60s, the, the, the kind of, you know, the women came out the kitchen and everything and there was a bit of a time for like, right, you know, rah. And now I feel like it isn't about, oh, let's just flip it around now and say the women have got, got the seat and the men have to kind of, you know, <laughs> take a knock. It's, 
it's about really understanding that this universe, this world, this planet Earth exists from a union of the masculine and the feminine. It's everywhere. It's in all of nature, the sun and the moon, the day and the night, you know, the, the, the beat of the flower. All of it is this dance. And if we overdevelop one or the other, we're out of balance. It, there has to be an honouring now and, a, and an appreciating of the gifts that are being given by each other. So, yes, honouring the feminine, and we can do that by honouring nature, you know, because nature in a way is the feminine. Everything manifest in creation is the feminine, and then you have consciousness as the masculine. But if, if it's all focused now on let's just honour the feminine, we're missing something, because actually both are bringing a gift... And it's like, it's back to the inner and the outer and the inner work around consciousness and the outer action. It's the same. How can we receive the gifts of the other and recognize that we need each other in order to come back into balance? When people, let's say they come on one of your programs and they, they feel that. So they, 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 you know, they over this weekend, they feel that sense of wholeness. They feel that sense of balance. Mm. And then they go back to... Um, wherever they've come from, maybe cities and places where they're, they aren't so connected to nature. Mm, mm. Um, do you have ways that you help people to integrate? Well, yeah, and that's the difference between people coming on like a weekend event and people coming on a year-long programme. Because it is that creation of a village and coming back again and again to the same village, to the same piece of land... And something, it's like shift isn't necessarily just going to happen in a flash over one weekend. You might have like a, a catalytic moment or a kind of a peak experience. But actually, how do I bring that back into my life? And you bring that back into your life by belonging to a village. I'm being, being accountable to the village, being supported by the village, feeling a sense of belonging to the village. All of that creates like an inner resource to be able to go, I can now put these things into my life because I've got this circle of people that have got my back, that are behind me, that are encouraging me, that I can go back and go, oh, I tried that thing and, oh, no, it was terrible, it didn't work. Or, oh, my God, how amazing was this? I did this. And then they go, yeah, brilliant, well done. We don't have that. We don't have this positive regard and support networks so many of us live in such isolated situations where we have maybe a small handful of friends that don't necessarily speak to us that way and encourage us to be the best that we can be like really see our magnificence and we see the magnificence because when you take that journey with a group of people over that time you get seen you get seen in every way you get seen in your shadow you get seen in your light and you get accepted and loved and, and in that, that gives like a resource to be able to go, I can go into the world and do what I want to do. I can live the life I want to live. And actually, I've got a gift to give and I'm not going to buy my own story about being unworthy or it not being good enough. I'm just going to give it because actually all this world needs is every single human being to fully bring one thing. The thing that they love, the thing that makes them feel utterly alive and connected to love that, that that connects them to the sacred if every single person was doing that and it could be something really small and really simple like meditating on a flower every day for example or lobbying government it doesn't really matter what the thing is 
but it's de that devotional prayer to the mystery, to the sacred, that shifts something in the collective field. And now it's like the universe is constantly responding. Nature, the universe, the stars, the moon are constantly communicating with our bodies, with our blood, with our bones, with our heart, with, with that that is infused within us. And if the more we can connect with that, even by simple, simple things, by just bowing to a flower, you know, now in conventional world, that would just be like a woo-woo, ridiculous, non-scientific, ineffectual thing to do. But is it? You know? And I'm really fascinated about how you take people on that journey. Because I imagine a lot of people come to you saying, I don't know what I want to do in my life. Or, mm -hmm. like, I know I need to connect to what I love, but I just can't seem to do it. And I can't seem to figure out what my gifts mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. How do you help people on that journey to, yeah. to discover that? Yeah, so this is where the really deep inner work has to happen. So one of the, the kind of core framework that we work on the longer um, trainings is working with what I call the kind of like the core imprint. So because we weren't brought up in a village and because we weren't welcomed with 48 pairs of eyes and arms all going, you're so welcome here, our role is to nurture you into being the best human being you can be. And we are always here for you because we didn't have that. We end up with like core beliefs about who we are. I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. I'm unworthy. I'm too much. You know, they're like core, core beliefs that sit in the deepest part of our psyche in the, in the limbic part of the brain, which is like primal ancient part of the brain. And we literally live our life from looking at the world through the lens of those core beliefs. So everything is kind of infused with this, you know, we sort of reach out and do something and we see an expression on someone's face. We go, oh yeah, yeah, of course, I was too much in that moment. I can see by the look on your face. Right, I better get back in my box and, and, and hunker down. So the work to transform that is, first of all, to get awareness around what those beliefs are and how they are completely controlling us and, and affecting how we can go out in the world. Once you can see them, you have more possibility to question them and go, is that really true? From my sense of wholeness and from my sense of being connected to something more than just my humanity, is it really true that I'm, I'm not enough? Like, and you start to see what a ridiculous belief that is, you know, but from our humanity, from our disconnected place outside of the village, it's easy to fall into that and to just go home and have that closed loop thinking over and over and over. But to change that belief, you have to have the village mirroring back to you all the time that that isn't true so that you can kind of start to pull apart. Here's my wholeness. Here's who I really am. And here's my kind of wounded younger self that doesn't know love, that doesn't know the village and is maybe always going to be in pain and always feel that. It's not about changing that young hurt one and saying, you know, you really should get over yourself and you really should sort of try and love yourself. All that part of us wants is to be parented by us you know, and be held by us. So look, I'm going to go out into the world and do a bit of a kind of courageous thing, but it's okay. You don't have to do that. I've got you safe here. You can stay at home. You can, you know, go and play in the garden or whatever. I'm going to go and do that thing. Otherwise, I mean, look at Donald Trump, classic example. 
you know, someone who's profoundly wounded operating from these beliefs and the compensatory behaviours for these beliefs are, yeah, dangerous, really, really dangerous. But to change those beliefs and start to operate from the part of us that isn't identified with them, that takes time because we're having to work with the limbic part of the brain, come out of the fight-flight response and root ourselves back, back in love. And I don't believe that work can be done on our own because we need the mirror to come back and show us something different so that we can start to believe it through the reflection of someone else going, I see you, this is what I see, your amazingness. And when you've heard that enough times, it's kind of like, okay, maybe I can start to believe that. Maybe, you know, it's something starts to shift. So last question, if you had one piece of advice for someone to live a real full life, full of belonging, full of connection, really connecting deep to what they love, to their gifts, what would that one piece of advice be? God, I have to think about this for a minute. <laughs> you sprung that on me. <laughs> mm, only one, that's hard, only one. We can start with one. Mm, okay. Maybe one and a half. Yeah, what's coming is it just literally is what are you grieving? What are you grieving? Because it's like the grief, in my experience and what I've learned about grief, is when we really fully let ourselves feel the grief, not only do our hearts open, but it's, I've seen it again and again and it's true for me. Suddenly I get all these insights. Oh, of course, yeah. I see now. It's like the, it's almost like it opens up a portal to wisdom that isn't available when you're sitting there in a sort of therapy room going, let's thrash this out. Let's see if we can unpack all these components. But it's almost like spirit comes in and just goes, hear this. Just sort of shines a light on it. And, and I've seen so many times people just going, I'm really clear. I know what I need to do now. Again and again and again, mm. I've seen that. And, and that feels potent at the moment in what's going on in our world, in our Western world. Grief, I feel, is the next portal, the next gateway of how we can come back to connection, actually. Yeah. yeah. What do you ask yourself the question? What, you know, what is it you're really grieving? What is it in this world that you feel sad about? You know, what, what isn't happening? What is, what's happening that you don't want to be happening? You know, and to feel it before we go out and do an action, feel it. Yeah, really feel it and not on your own. The other thing I would say is a more simple thing is get your bare feet on the ground. <laughs> Great. Well, everyone can do that. Everyone can do that. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so maybe I'll do that as well on the way out. Thank you so much, Jules. It's been a fascinating interview and it just so full of passion and insights. And um, what struck me was the extraordinary breadth of the work that you do. Mm. Mm. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, it's good to talk. You have been listening to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, 
changeinnature.org.